Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lease with another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast brought to you today by Lead411, Vidyard and Gong.io as you're moving into the new year because it's December and you're looking to up your game and up your skill level of your team. Uh, be sure to check out all three of those uh, of our sponsors. They've been super supportive to us throughout the entire year of 2020 and we're very grateful to them. Without any further ado, uh, we'd love to introduce our guest to you, who is the Manager of Business Development at Salonis, Amy Miller. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So, um, the, I think the first thing we want to talk about is just sort of like, what is your context? When you say Manager of Business Development, where, and this, this is for the context of, of you know, for people to understand where your thoughts are coming from, and then also explain what Salonis is again, so they have context for where your, you know, where your brain power comes from as we have this conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of managing business development, I oversee 14 BDRs or as, or SDRs, however you want to call them. Um, and basically the goal is to drive pipeline for account executives and our team. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of information about Salonis and what it is, just so everyone has a little bit of context on you know, what, what we actually do and what we're selling. Um, so it's a technology that really improves the way that companies' business processes are executed. So what it does, is it pulls the data from any company's existing IT systems, visualizes you know, what the business processes look like, and then automatically recommends or, or even automates action so that the company is achieving the goals that they're looking to achieve. So I guess like a fun way or like an easy way to think about it is kind of like Google Maps or if you're more of a wave person. So it's like thinking about what, what the goal is, what your destination is, and then identifying you know the issues, the things that are coming up that might allow you to not get there as, as quickly as possible, like traffic jams or, or accidents. This is the part of the show where Richard puts himself on mute. Early. 98% of the show. So, <laughs> if, you, if you're allowed to discuss it, what's your, for your, for the team you're supporting, the sales team you're supporting, what's the average deal size or sales cycle? Um, it's typically, it's, it's in the um, six figure range. Um, so it can be depending on the size of the company, it can be very large or it can be, you know, even, even a little bit smaller, but um it really depends on the size of the company, what what they're using it for, how many users they'll have. Um, yeah. And so, as it as you think about that, what is it like to for a BDR SDR? Like, you know, larger deals from what I've ex I've seen, you know, for BDRs and SDRs, um, you know, they may have to to pursue the prospect for two or three months even after the first meeting, like how do you guys set that up, I guess is the question. And, and how do you guys perceive that at an enterprise level? Because this is a true enterprise sale. I'm assuming it's a nine to 12 month sales cycle as well. Yeah, it can take some time. We've had, we've had sales cycles that take that long, especially in the larger organizations. They can be as short as, you know, a couple months depending on the size of the company. And, um, you know, if, if it's maybe outbound or, or inbound. Um, but to your point, I think it, it does take a lot of persistence and a lot of focus to be able to break into these large accounts. So I think it really comes down to, especially on our strategic accounts and our very large accounts is identifying why are we talking to this person? Why specifically are we, are we reaching out to them? Because at the end of the day, it's about what they care about and how we can help. So 
what challenges are, are they having? What pains do they see in their business processes? And what have we done before at, at similar companies that we can use that as, as a selling point to really break into that account and really drive that interest at the, at the enterprise level? Let's look at how do you, or how do you look at personalization versus personaization, right? At the enterprise level, it often is very, a little bit more challenging, I think. Um, what does that look like for you guys and how do you find that balance? Yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right that it is, it is a balance because the thing about Salonis and I guess the beauty of it is it could help anybody in any persona. Um, so we have to really be able to personalize it, not only to the persona, but the actual prospect, because if it's a generalized statement and it's not as relevant to them or it's not as catching. And if we're targeting somebody at the level of maybe like a, a CFO or a VP at a you know, $500 billion revenue company, we really need to be specific. So I think it comes down to doing research, not only on the person, maybe what they have on their LinkedIn, specific things that they mention or they're maybe endorsed for, but also you know, it, I think it's important to read earnings reports. What quotes are they saying? What are the top of mind initiatives at the company right now that we can tie into and kind of um, weave our, our software in to be able to help them achieve the initiatives or strategies or, or goals that the organization has. So I think it comes right. down to, to personalizing, yes, on the persona level, but also on the, on the company and the, and the person specifically. Richard, I don't know if we would be able to survive in the uh, BDR world these days. Amy is over here talking about reading earnings reports. Have you ever read an earnings report in your life? I have not. Uh, I actually have. Confession time. Yeah. Oh, God's sake. Of course you have. Why and why have I, Scott? Tell me why. Well, because you're making money on the stock market probably. Exactly. Yeah, the other thing I teach people. Not prospecting. Yeah. But, but I would use it. But the other thing, and I talk about this a lot, um, because not everybody has to do an earnings report, but I do teach, uh, B, you know, everybody, AEs, BDRs, customer success, even to look at the 10K reports, mm -hmm. which is once you become so large, you have to file some kind of SEC document. And a yep. 10K report actually talks a little bit more, not always, but a little bit more about what the company's initiatives are. And so it gives you something very specific to personalize with, or at least show that you've done some level of deeper research than the average person. So... So yeah, Amy, you yeah, so Scott, get with the program, been, man. It's 2020. Yeah, I'm way behind. On, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. Amy, you've been, um, you know, either a team lead or a BDR manager for almost two years now, right? What are some of the things that you struggled the most that were the hardest to kind of figure out and pick up? Um, and I'm, I'm asking this question as we try to you know, better teach and inform individual contributors who are looking to make the leap into, you know, sales leadership? Yeah, great question. Um, I think from my perspective, one thing as a piece of advice, I guess, to somebody that's looking to make that leap is prior to getting into that role, kind of taking on that responsibility. Well, it's not actually your title or it's not actually your role. So, you know, prior to becoming a team lead, prior to becoming the manager of business development in our New York office, I was already like thinking about, hey, how can I be a leader on the team? How can I be somebody that's a mentor to new hires, to people coming on? So I would say, you know, take that kind of approach if that's where you want to get to. Put yourself in that position while it's not actually your title. Um, but I think some of the challenges come with, you know, moving from being not being a peer to becoming, you know, somebody that you're you're leading your people that you worked with 
alongside. Just it, like in terms of getting everybody's uh, respect, how they look at you at this different kind of way. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think that's important. I think that's huge. Um, but I also think really identifying each person as an individual. You can't take a blanket approach to managing people um, and saying like, hey, this is how I'm going to do it for every single rep. It's really what do they care about? What are their motivators? Are they more focused on on money and, and hitting their KPIs? Are they focused on um, growth? What are the things that are really motivating to that person? And then kind of adjusting the way that you kind of lead and coach and manage based on what they actually care about and what's important to them. Similarly, how we are reaching out to prospects, right? So we want to make sure we're personalizing it to, um, to each individual, really. Mm -hmm. Did it take you, what, what was the moment where it like clicked, right? Because we're saying this is a difficult thing to kind of, you know, understand and, and, and execute well. Was there a moment that clicked or like a mistake that you recognize later on, you're like, oh shit, that's, now I know, now I, now I know what not to do, now I know what to do. I don't think there was a, a specific example or a specific moment that I can like pinpoint, um, but I do think, you know, I started off with a smaller group, so now I'm leading 14 reps, I started off with just leading four, so it, it was nice to have that smaller group to kind of identify like, okay, this person cares about this, this person is more focused on this and then just taking that specific approach. I think um, I actually listened to a bunch of podcasts, um, you know, from um, other sales leaders and identifying ways to kind of continue to get better and think about what, what makes a successful leader. And I think that was one of the things that I really took away and, and approached the role is, you know, each person is motivated differently and how can I help them, you know, get to where they want to be. What, what's the, what is the added complexity, you know, going from four to, I think you said you have 12 people that you're managing right now. Um, can you try to describe what, what that's like? Why is it so much harder? Because um, I've heard some people, Richard might get a chuckle out of this. I certainly did. But somebody said to me, well, how much harder could it be managing, you know, 50 people compared to 20? Meaning this person was basically saying like, well, you're just doing this sort of the same thing like isn't it routine and I, I got a chuckle out of it because you know I've been through it many times over but I, so from your perspective like talk about the additional complexity even going from a handful of reps just to 12. Yeah I mean it's it's totally different because when you have four you have a handful you're able to give so much more attention to each rep and really really kind of be their partner and leader but when you when you go down when you go up to say 12 14 15 reps and making sure that you're you know you have to have your one-on-ones with them weekly bi-weekly making sure that each person feels like they have me in their back pocket and in their corner to coach them and you know I, I think it's important to do live coaching to listen to call reviews to um, you know look at metrics per individual so it, it's a lot of organization on the front end and making sure going into these meetings that you know I know what this person is what's their goals for the next two weeks how are we tracking towards getting there and if, if you think about doing that for four people in comparison to doing it for say 14 you know it's 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 a lot more work um, and again, to the to the point of being personalized, it's not a blanketed approach. You can't say, you know, one rep might be really good at, you know, their persistence on the phone and being, you know, very professionally persistent. One rep might be a little bit more um, engaging via email. But what are the things that they're focused on improving? And then that's really where it comes into a lot of the differences in, in the coaching aspect per individual is 
um, what are the things for them that we need to work on improving and how can we do it together and coming up with that plan. So it's, it is a big difference between, um, you know, the four and, and 14 or to your point, 20 and 50, that's, that's a huge difference. <laughs> to get off mute so scott doesn't make fun of me anymore <laughs> i was i almost pulled the trigger and made fun of you yeah exactly um so i want to you know I, I love what you said too about motivating people but the, and there's a difference right you know there's definitely a difference of like okay this rep needs help with live pickups this rep needs help with emails or maybe they need help with the body of the email but not the subject line mm -hmm. uh this person needs help with you know whatever piece of that so coaching to those things for me, because they're tactical, seem fairly easy. But you also said something earlier that I don't think we've asked enough about, which is we have to motivate people differently. Yep. What does that really mean? Like, how do you determine that rep A gets motivated this way, rep B gets motivated that way? And more importantly, what are the things you do to try and match that to give them the support they need? Yeah, great question. I think... It comes down to one, building that trust and relationship with each rep where you're able to kind of just ask them, what, mo what motivates you? What are the things that you care about here? Because I, as a- What as are they man, telling you? Like, what are their motivations? Is it always I mean, financial? Is it always, like, what are those specific things? Yeah, it can come down to like, hey, I, I'm just really focused. Like, one of my motivations is achieving. Like, I'm an achiever. That's something that motivates me is if I have this goal- I need to achieve it or overachieve it. That's something that's motivating to some of the reps. Some of them, it is money. And um, I have one rep specifically who is her goal every every um, month is to hit 200% of her goal because she wants to build up her savings account. Like that's that's one of her main motivators is, you know, hitting that number so that she's able to, you know, build her savings account. Um, other people, I think they're motivated from recognition and hearing like, hey, you know, you're doing a great job or maybe giving that acknowledgement to my boss or, you know, maybe someone else that's a leader on the team. So they have that brand, you know, personal brand is super important. So I think it comes down to a lot of different things. So I think tailoring that and making sure that I recognize that in each employee, what are the things that they're motivated for? And then how do I come up with a plan and how do I work with the rep together to, you know, work towards the things that they're motivated by? So let's take each of those, right? So someone's motivated by hitting 200%, right? And she's got a financial goal because she wants to, you know, reach certain levels. Um, how do you motivate that person? And, you know, specifically, and I don't mean that particular human, yeah. in that personality. How do you, what kind of things do you do or say to that person versus the things you might do or say to the one who's looking for the recognition? Yeah. So I think if, if the goal is hitting that 200%, what are the things that we need to do to get you there? So if you're taking the approach of um, volume, like, hey, maybe typically, look, let's look at your um, pitch to meeting. Let's look at your dial to demo. Like how many calls does it take you to actually book a meeting? What's the activity that you need to put in to get yourself to the goal that you wanna get? So I think being very metric driven and looking at that person's you know, history of you know, how many, what's their pitch to meeting ratio? What's their call to pitch ratio? What does this look like for you? And what do we need to do to get you there based on, you know, the activities you've done in the past? Um, and then kind of just keeping them honest and keeping them in it with you. So I think at, at the end of a, end of a one-on-one -on -one saying like, all right, what are, from your perspective, you know, what do we need to do to get there? And then holding them accountable. Say they say, oh, I need to make 
70 phone calls at minimum every single day, having them give me that commitment to the 70, then I can hold them to that. Hey, we talked about this. You wanted to make 70 calls a day. Let's make sure that we're getting there because that's what's going to get you to your 200%. I think somebody who's motivated by recognition and acknowledgement is, I think it comes down to making sure that, you know, you're getting to what you need to get to in terms of, of your goals for the role. So what are you doing well? What are some of the things that are working? Who do, who do you care about impressing? And what are the things, if, if you're not there yet in terms of your ability to, you know, get to where you need to be, what can we work on? Do we, do you want to take a course on X, Y, and Z so that you become better at the thing that you're focused on? And then we could say, Hey, look at this, this rep did this, this is what they were trying to achieve and giving them that acknowledgement, whether it's publicly in a, in a phone call in a group setting, or if it's just specifically from me, um, I think it's, it's a kind of a combination of those types of things. I want to dig in a little bit because you were talking so much about these different KPIs and metrics and how important they are. I'm curious how you feel about so many other sales leaders talking about how metrics and KPIs, if you're monitoring these things from an SDR org, like you're doing it wrong. Like basically they're saying like caring about metrics is totally out of date and, you know, not going to work and totally passe. Like you got, we got to move on from that. All that matters is the result. Um, how does that strike you as somebody who's leading an SDR org in what appears to be a totally different way? I mean, I think metrics are huge. How do we know what's working and what's not if we're not looking at the metrics? So I think, I do think obviously the results are important. I don't think it's just hey, we're putting up this many phone calls, we're sending out this many emails, that's what we need to do. I think it's that in combination with what's the messaging, what's the approach. But I think, you know, if, if you're struggling with getting somebody on the phone, let's, let's look at those metrics. How many calls are we making? What are the things that we need to adjust? Are we dialing the same number every time at the same exact day? same exact time, same exact day, like, and that's not working. What are the things we need to change? So I think looking at the metrics and looking at the data is super important. I think it's really eye-opening to the reps too, to see like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing my daily work, I'm like getting in the groove, but if it's not working for me based on like the metrics, and, and this is very eye-opening that this is the thing that I need to focus on, and then they change that, coming back to it a week later and saying, okay, this is what we did in the past week or two, how have our results improved? So I, I think it's a combination of metrics driven. And of course the result is the end, end game and that's what we want to get to, but it's a way to coach and a way to look at my specific performance as a, as a rep, as a BDR. Working on my unmute skills. Um, so, you know, as you go from four to 14 and you do talk about coaching and listening to calls and, metrics for you what's the right balance of technology and you don't you can name names if you want of, of services that you that you like and you use mm -hmm. you don't have to but what are the things that for you at this stage are like this is a must-have if you want to scale right you got to have these things I mean I'll give a plug I think sales loft is something we use and I even as a rep that I you know I found so much value in um, so I think that's a must have and a must use because one, you're able to, as a rep, see who's, you know, who's looking at your emails, what are the analytics behind your open rate, your 
um, reply rate, what's working, how can I A-B test? I think these things are super important. And then as a manager too, giving me that insight as to what's working for the team, if we're using a team cadence, which one's working best, what messaging is actually landing. I think that's, that's number one, um, super important. Obviously, we need to have the the data collected in a CRM. So obviously Salesforce is, is something important and we wouldn't be able to have as much um, use out of SalesLoft without it. So number one, I think is, is um, SalesLoft for me. What else though? Like what are the other things? Like, I, cause I, you know, and look, maybe let's go beyond, hey, you need a good data tool. You need a mm -hmm. CRM, you need a sales engagement platform. What else are you guys using? What other kinds of things are you using? I think getting the correct phone numbers using um, Zoom Info powered by Discover.org, not only for that, but also for org charts, who reports to who, LinkedIn, of course, um, and that's built into kind of the steps of, of a cadence, right? So one, identifying, are we calling the right person with the right number and we have the correct information for them? Um, but I think LinkedIn is huge as well because not only you're able to connect with people in a different way, it's more conversational. Like if you think about an email is a little bit more formal, a LinkedIn message is kind of between that and maybe like a text. So you have that kind of personalization and then, you know, sharing things on LinkedIn, um, commenting on people's posts, um, giving them a piece of content. So it's not, not always, Hey, we're asking for your time, but Hey, this, I think this piece of content would be relevant to you having that kind of give to get, mentality on LinkedIn, I think is, is really important. So, um, you know, I think we use a, a variety of tools, but I think um, the combination of all of them is really what makes it the execution. I agree. Have you guys gone down the video route or have you stayed away from it? We have um, tested it and we're, we're working on getting that to be a little bit more um, part of our workflow. It hasn't been the uh, main thing that we're doing, but we are, we are looking into doing that more because we are seeing, you know, from, from sales loft, they send out like what's working and video seems to be something that we could be leveraging a little bit more. Um, we've done a little bit of um, maybe like voice, leaving a voicemail or leaving a voice message in, in uh, LinkedIn um, as something different. It kind of stands out and maybe somebody, somebody will remember your name a little bit more, but I think that's something we're, we're really going to try to tap into in, in 2021 is the use of video a little bit more. Not only Amy, on LinkedIn, I'll... also an email. Amy, I want to pivot, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to pivot us out of this for just a second. Sure. Um, I want to know how somebody like you thinks about their their future and their their career path and what i mean by that is you're you're an sdr leader right now okay i mean the company could grow maybe you become you know director of sales development business development or vp of that is, is that the career path for an sdr leader is should it be how do you cross over to being uh, you know, a sales manager or a VP of sales that's managing account executives and the, and the latter half of the sales cycle as well. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just, I'm thinking, yeah. how do you think about all that stuff in terms of where does one take their career when you're in the role that you're in now? Yeah, no, good question. And I, I think about that too, in terms of like, the next step would probably be a director overseeing maybe a team or a couple managers. Um, and then eventually potentially a, a VP of sales. But I think what I've enjoyed a lot from moving from BDR myself 
to team lead, to manager is I've done this role and I, I did it successfully. Obviously what, what worked for me might not exactly work for somebody else, but like that's something that I really enjoy in moving from managing is being able to actually do the role. So that's why I really enjoy being a BDR manager because I can say like, hey, this, this is what worked. I understand some of the pains you're going through. Um, so I think moving from that to kind of director um, to potentially VP, I mean, we're, we're growing like crazy. We've, we've added so many new employees to, to the company. And I think, you know, it comes with growth is, is those kind of roles. So, um, and, and also in a company yeah. that's growing like, like this is, you know, what it, there's so many, so much opportunity for, for the future that it might not, there might not even be a role right now that has that specific title. So I think it's kind of, that's true. That's, that's that, very fair. There was no such thing as right? CDR and SDR teams when Richard and I were, were coming up. So that, that's totally fair that, you know, maybe there is yeah, a that role. Was my, that was my biggest mistake, coming. which actually was a Fluid, blessing, right? right? Like my, in 2012, before I started consulting, I, I got all these interviews for being a BDR, SDR leader. And they kept telling, asking me, well, you know, where do you want to be in five years? And, and my standard canned response, because that's what I thought and was coached was, <laughs> I want your job. I want your VP of sales job. Because even I had sort of this downward lurk of the SDR, BDR team. And it never entered my mind that I should be, oh, I want to run a team of BDRs or SDRs nationally or globally. Like I just, and Scott knows this about me. I, my biggest struggle is, is lacking a, a five-step vision, right? Like Scott can, Scott can think 10 steps ahead in chess. I can think about three. Um, and so that's where he coaches me on this stuff. But, you know, I, I think that's, that's a tremendous place that I just never saw. Which leads me to the next question, which is, let's, you know, you, you go and interview one day for, for a VP of sales role and you've been doing all this BDR stuff. You know, the obvious objection from these, you know, unintelligent people are, well, you've never managed closers before. How would you overcome that objection, right? And, I, and I'm not even asking for you. I'm asking for those who are listening, who are in this role where they're thinking that the sales leadership role is the, is the ultimate prize. Yeah. Well, they're going to have to answer that question. Yeah, they're going to have Amy to. Or, or whoever is listening at, ho at home. That's the question. That question is coming. Yeah, for sure. And I, I totally get that because um, it's definitely a valid question to, to ask. I think it comes down to proving what you've done and what you have had success in. And I think shadowing and having a mentor in that type of role is really relevant and really important. So seeing, hey, I like, I sat alongside this person. I didn't have experience managing BDRs before I managed BDRs. Um, but here's, here's the progression that I've made and the things that I've added. And one, not only if you're, I have been at this company for a while, so I know the ins and outs of the product. I know how we go to market and how we sell. So I think having that kind of mentality too is, is a huge, a huge ad, you know, coming from the ground up at a company and then moving into a role like that, understanding where we've come from, what the messaging is, like being able to pick that up a lot quicker than maybe somebody who's coming in externally, I think is a huge value add as well. And then, you know, obviously as the BDR organization, we work alongside of the account executives day in and day out and having conversations with them. So um, I think that's, that's one way to overcome it for sure. Scott, how would you, I have a, I want to answer that question too, because I, I want to coach people to this now that I have a, a different perspective, but Scott, you've been a BDR manager, an SDR manager, 
you now have the obviously as a VP of sales and, and SVP of sales, what would you want to hear from that BDR manager, SDR leader, even if they went from manager to director? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't, my honest initial response is I don't know because I'm not sure that I'm able to get over my bias right now of whether or not somebody who's not led a team of people closing deals yep. is the right person to run an entire sales organization. So, so I didn't know that was your answer, but so here's how I would, I think I would respond. And granted, it's easy for me because I'm a little more cocky about this stuff. But I would be able to, you know, depending on that leader, I would be able to say a couple of things. One, to Amy's point, look, you're really going to throw away my two years of Salonis knowledge for someone who doesn't know anything about it because of that. Number one, I teach my team to close every day. We have to close the hardest part, which is actually the first appointment. You get to close the easy part because now they're interested. So I'm closing the hardest part. The second thing I would be saying is I've also coached this many people to achieve their goals, mm-hmm. right? I know how to motivate these people. So I, for me, I'm like, I can do all the things that lead up to the end result you want, right? And, you know, so I, to me, I want to try and call out Scott's bias bullshit on that. I actually, I did say this once to a boss and, and particularly if they hired me, I, I said to him, I closed you. You're supposed to be the toughest person to close in this organization on anything. And I closed you to hire me. And the stunned look on his face was like, okay, so I at least made him think about it. Um, wow. You know, so yeah. those are the things I would say. But again, I come from a, a slightly cockier point of view on, on some of no, those. But I think, but I, Richard, I think, I think that is the only satisfactory answer that I would be looking for. I, I don't know that, that I would want to hear it in as cocky a delivery but i right. think there's a there's a, there's a way to to say that which is just like you know you're betting on on me basically yeah. like yeah. just because i've never done something doesn't mean i can't do it right you know i was never an sdr manager when you made me an sdr manager now i i've been one i've been really good at it i was never even a salesperson before you hired me i figured that out right and, and what I think that I would be looking for is somebody who's, who basically has the, the aura about them of, you know, I bet on me and I bet on me over, over anybody else, you know, and, and I've said this before, like you're, you're, you're oftentimes you're looking for somebody who has done rather than somebody who can do, and that's the wrong approach. So, you know, I'm, I have this bias i can feel it but i also know that it is bullshit on on some level there's no reason somebody couldn't do it because if you know how to if you have a process you know how to get a group of people to follow that process you know how to motivate and encourage and coach and recruit and manage to you know results and communicate effectively i don't care if you're an sdr manager or a vp of sales or a cro at some level, it, it's all the same shit. The fabric that ties all those roles together is all the same. So I think, you know, Amy could, Amy could respond in such a way that would convince me. But everybody who's listening, like, you better practice and rehearse that, 
the response to that interview question because it's definitely coming. Totally agree. Totally agree. All right, Amy, I want to I want to pull us way out of all this sales stuff. I want to want to know a little bit more about Amy. So, okay. were you, you know, were you the competitive kid who played a lot of sports? How did you choose a sales career? You know, like where did it all come from for you? Um, I, you, you nailed it with the sports thing. I played sports my entire life. I'm super competitive. So this sales role kind of lined up exactly to my motivators. What's motivating to me is being the top, being the achiever, getting to the goals that I have. And I think in a sales role that translates immensely. I played basketball. I played softball. I played tennis. I played on, and when I'm thinking about basketball, like I was on I played on the team and when I was in first grade, I played with the third graders. So I like my goal always was um, achieving and being super competitive. Um, In addition to that, I think obviously being in a, the sales realm, money is a motivating thing for me. Um, I actually, prior to joining Salonis, I was doing um, advertising sales for about three and a half years. So, you know, having that kind of mentality through my whole career. Did you want to be like you got out of college, you got an MBA, you know, and I don't know if you stayed in college. And nobody, to- nobody, wait a second. Nobody goes to college to get an MBA to be a salesperson. That's my question. Where did it, did you choose yeah. sales no, or great. did sales choose you? Sales chose me, I think, to a, pers- to a point. So um, went to college, had my marketing degree. Um, year four, had uh, some time in my schedule. So decided to take some MBA courses because I had the time. Um, and then I, at that point, wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. Did I want to do marketing? Did I want to do sales? Um, did I want to do advertising? So I I took a grad assistantship, which paid for my MBA. So that seemed to me like a no brainer. Um, and moved back home a year after college and with my parents in upstate New York. Um, and then a year after that, I just found myself continually visiting New York city. I had a bunch of friends here always found myself on the weekends coming, you know, to the big city, seeing what was, was here. So I moved to New York, um, with no job and worked at a gym for maybe three months while I was looking for roles, stumbled upon a job, um, doing advertising sales, found out, (laughs) um, Hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. And like, I am super competitive and we had that leaderboard and, I see Scott wrote Niagara is greater than St. Bonnie's and we can, we can do a whole podcast on that if you'd like. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, getting into the, my first sales job was, I saw my name on that board, the board every day of who are the leaders. And I started off, I was brand new at the bottom and I just was so competitive that I'd see somebody I started with. And if they were getting above me, my goal was to get above them. And how can I get in front of the people who have been here longer than me? So kind of as soon as that kind of clicked, I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense for me to, to be in a role like this. Did you, what motivated you to choose to, to look at sales roles? Like you said, you got a degree in marketing, right? Money. Mo- oh, and money. Okay. Got it. So that was you know expensive. <laughs> you know, you know, what's refreshing about this conversation, Richard and, and Amy, it is, it's like almost taboo now to talk about how competitive you you are or were and that money was the driving factor and i'm a bit sick of it to be honest with you i'm a bit sick of of reading and hearing everybody just say oh i just like helping people and solving problems 
okay, sh sure you do. Sure, that's the only reason. Okay, yeah, you're not competitive at all. You don't want to be number one on the leaderboard. You don't want to make, you know, a quarter million dollars or more. Okay, pal, sure. So I, I, it is refreshing for me to have this conversation with Amy. And Amy's like, listen, I was super competitive my whole life. It never stopped. I got on the leaderboards. I like making money. New York is obviously the most expensive place in the country, if not the world. Like, so that, that makes sense. So good, good for you. Yeah, I moved here with no um, job. I needed to, to make it up pretty quickly as, yeah. as soon as I could. So That's great. So we, we have to kind of move towards wrapping up here a, a little bit. But uh, I, I wanted to thank, you know, Vidyard and, and Gong and Lead411, of course, for, for sponsoring the show and being so good to us this year. Um, we like to end every show, Amy, though, with, with an offer of, like, how can we help you? Do you have any questions for us? Is there anything we can do for you? Is there something that you're working on, you know, some side project or, or you know, some organization that you're affiliated with that you want to give a shout out to? So this is like your time to kind of flip the table, uh, switch the table on us a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think for me personally, like I got into this this role at Salonis coming from BDR to SDR um, or to, to BDR manager and just having a network of people to bounce ideas off of has been awesome. So I was talking to Richard a couple weeks ago um, and I was saying like, hey, I'm, I'm new to this, this world. I've been a BDR manager only since April. Um, so just having kind of that network and people to bounce ideas off of and, and learn from and, and grow with um, it's something I'm, I'm really passionate about. So I appreciate, you know, you guys taking the time to chat with me and I just would love to keep, um, keep communication open. Anybody else that's listening that's, that's in a role like this would love to connect further. I think, um, that would be a big ask for me is just building a network of people with like-minded, um, well, you know. the, well, this is then where you get some unsolicited advice slash <laughs> criticism, because I hear you say that in, you know, out of the left side of your mouth, but out of the right side, like I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile and you have like 1300 connections. So I'm like, what are you doing, Amy? Like the network is out there waiting mm -hmm. for you. There's people, you know, like us, smarter than us, people who are in peer groups of yours that would probably love to connect with you that you yeah. can network with and learn yeah, from. For sure. So one of the, one of the things that, <clears throat> you know, I would be coaching you on if I was your bosses. You are squandering your talent and, and ability and squashing your voice by not allowing anybody to hear it. Um, so having such a small network does you no justice whatsoever. As you grow in your, your career, one of the things that you're gonna have to be able to get really, really good at is, is recruiting. The bigger net that you can yep. cast immediately just amongst people that you're connected to, that will help you recruit faster and it will save you a truckload of money as well. Um, and then people want to know who they're working for. So, you know, you've got to do, you know, more things like this, let people hear you speak, get your thoughts or words out there, put content out on paper or in video, mm -hmm. um, all this, this kind of thing. But you, you need to put yourself out there a little more. There is no reason on earth that somebody coming up through the ranks right now, like you, is stuck at 1,349, you know, connections on LinkedIn. That, that is, that's gotta be like your 2021 goal. My New Year's right? resolution. That's right, that, <laughs> that you gotta get, I, I would tell you that um, 
I would be disappointed if you couldn't crack 10,000 by the end of next year. That's like 10xing the size of your network, basically. And I think that that's entirely possible. Um, that would be my push of you, my challenge yeah. to you. No, I appreciate that. Rich, Richard, challenge you want to add accepted. anything? Richard, I you want to add anything? Yeah, I would, I would also say, just elaborating on Scott's part about content, you have so much knowledge, right? Like you could take everything we talked about today and create your own verbal posts about every all these different topics. Mm -hmm. And that's the stuff people want to hear, right? The part about going from four to 14, right? To go from, you know, here's the tactical to go from how to manage uh, different personality types, mo different types of motivators, right? Like mm -hmm. that's the beat, like you have all this institutional knowledge that there are always people above you who don't know, right? I can assure you there's VPs and SVPs of sales who have no clue about what you do and you can educate them. And likewise, there are people behind you who could also learn from this. And there's also peers who'd like to hear this. So I would tell you to think about all these different topics and kind of go, oh, I could write a blurb about that on, and share it on LinkedIn, right? Regardless of how many people are in your network at the moment, but start to build that awareness of who Amy is based on the knowledge Amy has. And that's gonna help your career as well. So, and yeah, it's gonna help internally at Salonis. Like you're going to be when when someone comes along and they say, well, you know, why do you want to get promoted? It's like, well, look at this content. Look at what I'm generating around Salonis, not just our jobs, how we're recruiting, but mm -hmm. the content. And look at how these people are responding to this content. So this is going to help me recruit better people because they're going to know who I they're going to know that I'm the kind of leader who cares about these things. Right. And I think that's okay. again, that sort of becomes one of those pluses of hey, I have, you know, an X number of years here, so I know that. But by the way, I also have a leadership and I have a, a I wouldn't call it a following, but, you know, I've got a presence and a brand mm -hmm. that people trust based on my skill set. And that's going to help me, that's going to help our organization as I move further up, right? To Scott's point about recruiting, that's one way that you have the recruiting. The other is a larger network. But those are the things, and I'd be willing to, I'd be curious, I haven't even looked at your Salonis people, but I'd be curious to see how much engagement those folks have in social, right? And particularly yeah. you're talking about, the way to look at it is pretend you're the person you're coaching your reps to reach out to, right? You're telling them, go look at their skills, go look at this, go find something. We'll put more stuff out there so people could find you and comment to you if they were trying to sell to you. And that's when you know you'll be getting it out there. So yeah, awesome. I appreciate that, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for spending some time with us, Amy. Hopefully, you had a wonderful Christmas and uh, have a good and safe New Year and uh, best best of luck in 2021. You as well. Thanks, thanks so much. Amy. We appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Yep. Bye. Bye.